Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are reviewing episode 10 of season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Equality of Mercy. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who's Story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I am glad to be here. I apologize for everyone listening for joining midway through, but I couldn't help that. But I am here and I am on time this week. And it is not a strange new world that I'm here for. I mean, because of, but I am here for strange new worlds. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and, and and no, my brain isn't fried, but I am here. All righty. Glad to have you, sir. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? I am doing very well, man. Very well. Glad to be here and talk about this amazing episode that we have watched. All righty. So we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy, which was written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman, while Chris Fisher directed the episode. In the season one finale, just as Captain Pike thinks he's figured out how to escape his fate, He's visited by his future self, who shows him the consequences of his actions. So, if you have not seen the season finale of season one of Strange New Worlds, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because I can guarantee it from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are back to review this episode. And I'm going to go back to Mr. Jones and get his beats for the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones. So you know what? I had a paragraph that I'm going to scrap at this very moment because... I don't really like the paragraph, but I will tell you that if I could say for all but maybe this last line that I'm going to keep, if I wouldn't make too much noise, I would probably stand up and clap and say, bravo, 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 talk about writing, be creative, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is give the last line of my beats, which is this new Kirk can take a hike. Timelines be damned. I prefer Captain Pike. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Laying down a gauntlet early on in the episode. <laughs> All right. Well, John, what's your high level view of the episode before we go back to Cal to get his additional thoughts? I absolutely loved it. And so many East. This was just Easter Day in a Star Trek <laughs> episode. I loved it. And to have so many Easter eggs so well done. I just I can't say enough good things about this episode. Mm, love hearing it. Mr. Jones, additional thoughts. So this is the episode to me for you guys who and especially for Jonathan, who is a big Star Trek fan in a way that I am not, and be able to appreciate the little, small, minute things that I don't get, same as when I'm geeking out over a Doctor Who episode that, Clarence, you may not get because of that small, minute, intricate little thing. I didn't really appreciate that until I watched this video that I found about 30 minutes ago that was a pretty much a screen-by-screen -screen playback of how 
just awesomely faithful this was to the original. So awesome, awesome episode. And for the actor that they got to play Kirk, I'm sure he's a good actor. And I may grow to love him as Kirk in the correct timeline. But again, this new Kirk can take a hike. Timelines <laughs> be damned. I prefer Captain Pike. Yeah, as as for the new Kirk, I don't. Uh, he's he's okay. He's okay to me. Is more so the look than his acting. I don't really think he has the look, especially when you think about somebody like Chris Pine and how much he exudes what William Shatner was <laughs> at in that era. You know. So when I see this new Kirk, I'm not feeling it myself, but I think he did a good job as far as the portrayal and the the hard, maybe not hard, the, the willingness to be a maverick, I might say. <laughs> so, so let me add this real, real quick. And I, I don't want to blast too much, even though I did not like him and he's my only negative. I wonder if I need to see him in the correct timeline because I wonder if he played him up being an asshole in this one simply because of this being a different timeline. Well, if you go back and we're going to get into all this, but if you go back and if you go back and watch Balance of Terra, it kind of it's kind of weird because it plays it kind of plays Pike as in this episode as wanting to be the one to have the diplomatic solution to have some mercy on his enemy. And I think in Balance of Terror, Kirk moves from that at first to after the suggestion from Spock. And um, I forget the other guy's name who hates Romulans, but it, <laughs> it, it quickly goes into let's let's defeat him just like Kirk was in this episode as well. So I appreciated that in this episode. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think he did a decent job for his first first time out. So I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm digging the new Kirk. I mean, he's not, he's not the same Kirk, but I kind of give that as like maybe in the next five years or however many years we got to go, he kind of grows into the Kirk we know. But also, I don't think we've seen much interaction with Kirk and other Starfleet captains through TOS. Mm-hmm. So usually he's interacting with his subordinates or another species. So, it's you know, you don't really see the butthole part of him. Yeah, I definitely get that. Oh, wow. And doing a little research here on the fly. So I thought Equality of Mercy, the title was a play on the TOS episode Aaron of Mercy. But when I searched Quality of Mercy is actually the na- the title of a Twilight Zone episode. And the 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 uh, actual description of the episode reads, Hotshot New Lieutenant Cottrell tries to make his mark on his last day of World War Two in the Pacific and gets unique perspective on his actions. So I need to go back and watch that one. I know I've seen a lot of uh, Twilight Zone episodes, but I don't specifically remember remember this one. But cool fact about this episode, it had Leonard Nimoy in it <laughs> playing a character called Hanson. So that's interesting. So I need to go back and watch that one as well. (laughs) That's pretty cool. So I have right here the the title of Quality of Mercy seems to be a play on the episode one TOS title, Aaron of Mercy. But the episode more directly plays into the episode 13 of TOS, Balance of Terror, giving us an almost play by play retelling of events from a certain perspective. And I'm going to go back to Mr. Jones on this one as I do about time stuff because he's our time person. (laughs) Dude. 
uh, I just keep saying it about how I see other shows do time better than Doctor Who. I just feel this was just such an excellently done episode on the perspective from a different angle, a different point of view. And again, I'm loving how Star Trek does time in comparison to some of the more sometimes not as well done storylines we get from Doctor Who. Any thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. We have had Chibnall since 2017, and I think that that has infected your brain somewhat in lower quality time travel stories that said 2023 RTD. Okay. Not for president, but for Doctor Who showrunner. (laughs) But seriously, I, I do agree with you that this was smart time storytelling, and it was done in a way to where I could enjoy this episode if I didn't know anything about the other episode. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I could enjoy this. I could watch it. I could understand it. I might not have the tapestry. I might not have the layer. I might not have the cool factor, but I can still enjoy it as a story. And it was told in a way to where if you didn't know what those crystals were, yeah. you didn't have to know what the crystals were, per se. Yeah. You, I love the fact that you saw it as a flash forward and not Pike going into the future and being a fish out of water type story. So for all of that, yes, it was beautifully done, well written, and for Chibnall's Doctor Who, for the most part, top notch in comparison to that. Well, even when you compare that compare it to that of this latest season of Star Trek Picard, which, you know, I, they th- I think they stretched out something that could have been a couple episodes. <laughs> I feel like it was just such well done in this short glimpse of what a possible future could be, you know. So I really, really thought it was done well. John, I want to go to you and talk to you about uh, Mayit Asala and Captain Pike realizing that his son was one of the kids or cadets that died in the explosion where he gets his, his bleak future, so to speak. Right. Thoughts on, on that interaction and Pike having to face that a little bit in this episode at the very beginning. And, and again, something we've we've laid out from the very first episode of the season. When I saw the kid come in, I, that's kind of how I went. Cause again, I keep saying this every time we, you know, we kind of get the opening sequence flashes or flashbacks of things to happen. So we knew this was going to kind of focus on that particular uh, future event. So I saw the kid come in and I was like, I wonder is that going to be tied in? But I, I mean, I've come since we've been watching this series. And again, it's a credit to the writer, a credit to the actors. But, you know, you kind of expect Pike to handle it a little better. You know, I kind of thought that, you know, it was going to throw him off for a minute, but he was just going to Pike his way through it. You know what I mean? But (laughs) he completely shut down and I was not expecting that. Uh, And I was not expecting I was not expecting to have to face anything about his future this early into it. So that was a shock as well. But it was a perfect setup for this episode. So he sets out to change the fate of this kid, possibly. Kyle, should time be malleable as as Pike sees it here? Uh, We've had hints throughout the whole season of, especially as it relates to him and him interacting with Una, the possibility of changing his fate 
what are your thoughts on him writing this letter and just the the concept of him changing his future? Butterfly effect. Seriously. You know, there's and because it's time, I'm going back to Doctor Who. But we we learn in Doctor Who there are fixed moments in time, things that have to happen, that must happen, that can't be changed. And not necessarily because you don't want to, but because of the fact or the fact that those events happen are springboards for things to happen years and years and decades and centuries or whatever down the road. And I think Pike being, yes, one person, but his absence allows Kirk to become the Kirk we know, allows et cetera and so forth and so on. So back to your question about the letter, as a human being, you want to try to save somebody, but who is Pike to decide who should and should not be saved? Mm. And I'm not saying he shouldn't. You see what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. I would probably want to do the same thing. I'm not I'm not begrudging him, but I'm putting the point out there. Does Pike have the right to change what he already knows will be this person's established timeline? Future me, future Pike comes back and has a conversation with himself and tries to set him on the right course. John, I got to go to go to you, man. We saw older Pike there, did you think they were getting ready to up in everything we've seen on TV, TOS uh, and, and go on a different <laughs> course for the Star Trek as we know it? Uh, you know, for a split second, I did, especially looking at the uniform older Pike was in. Yeah. And it was so like, cool. Yeah. Like I, I, I kind of looked at that in that particular moment. Like all I could think of was like House of Cards. Like this we're standing on a house of cards here and one wrong move and you could destroy <laughs> everything. Yeah. And the fact that the writers and the producers and directors were brave enough to take this on. Yes. Speaks volumes. Like I, I just can't think of anyone that would have taken such a classic, well-loved franchise and attempt to, throw like they're right on the edge of screwing up an entire franchise <laughs> yeah and like they're flirting with it and it's so good to see it and see it done well because it also has that suspense like oh please don't do it yeah but again again they they figure out smart ways and by you know kind of recreating a classic episode just from a different perspective kind of helped them avoid that line yeah so I want to add something to that. I agree with you 100% on what you said, Jonathan. I, I do want to add that I didn't think that they were about to upend everything. And the only reason I did not think they weren't was because of the care they took in the original, you know, first and second seasons of Discovery to position them storyline away from anywhere that they would impact you know canon as we know it that said when we're talking about the writers and everything around them clarence you made a statement about jeff russo i think when we were talking about music on discussing who and you said that he is just like so reverent of what became before him and you can tell that in his music 
I think that's equally true with the writing is they are so reverent of the writers and the canon that they're wanting to maybe bend it a little bit, but definitely not break it. Mm, Good point. Speaking of breaking and discovery as well, the time crystals, Bereth. God, did you find it cool that we keep getting these nods to what happened in discovery? Obviously, it's integral to Pike as we know him now. Uh, but but what do you think of these references we keep getting to Discovery and the time crystals and how they're used in this episode? So I'm going to ask it in a way, but not directly. And the way I'm going to ask it is this is what I want to see at some point in Strange New Worlds. I probably won't get it, but if I do, I've said it here today. And that is I want some timey-wimey story where we see Spock have a brief conversation with Michael. That might be cool. I don't know if it'll happen, but it'd be cool, I think. And and again, we'll be walking that edge again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's going to be close, man. That's going to be close, but it would be good. Like, and I I keep, like, in the back of my mind every episode, at some point through the episode, like, in the back of my mind, there's something saying, this would be a good place to kind of have a, Maybe a slight discovery contact tie in somewhere. But like I said, it's a, it's a fine line. If, if they do it, if they do that too much, we're going to have issues. I hate something that I keep bringing up on various reviews and podcasts that we do. I hate episodes where we're in somebody in somebody's head. I'll say that. But I also hate episodes of shows that feel meaningless or didn't happen. You wake up and it was all a dream. Uh, we kind of get that in this episode a little bit. How do you mm. feel about that? And how do you feel that the episode is still impactful, even though none of that stuff ever happened? Or the fact that it didn't happen is what informs us to make this a good episode. Mm. I think, and I'm going to go meta in my answer here, but I think that it did have an impact. It did make a Well, I'm going to go back to the word impact because I think it did have it, but I don't think it had an impact per se. Yes, with it could have with um, Pike, but I think it had more of an impact with fans because it could end that speculation that everyone's been talking about Mm. of are we going to change Pike? Is something going to happen? Is there Mm. going to be a Hail Mary? They answered that question, I think, yeah. pretty definitively. Yeah. Right, right, right. In spectacular fashion. <laughs> yes. So to answer your question, I don't think this was a, a nothing episode or a let's put everything back the way it was. Yes, it is back the way it was. But in your mind, my mind, Jonathan's mind, that question has been put to rest. And I'm glad they did not do. So we've kind of seen this in a few episodes, different places, uh, probably primarily in Voyager. There was an episode where Janeway went back to meet Janeway and they teamed up to fix or change the future. Uh, There was a Kess met a Kess and the what was the other one? Seven of Nine met Seven of Nine. Like, and although those episodes were really good, I like the fact that they took pike from the past and he went to the future but he was acting his future self i mean he was playing the role with the without the knowledge yeah. am i making sense yeah, i mean no, totally and so usually you know i was halfway expecting he was going to get there and kind of be like in a third person observing role 
Is or, it sort of like uh, what's the, the the Christmas Carol or something? Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, which okay, I can see it working, but we've been there. And then I think it would have kind of removed us from the episode and kind of went to kind of how you alluded to is kind of a pointless episode, like empty. Um, so I'm glad they didn't do that. It was fun kind of watching him adapt to the role that he was having to play. And he did pretty good at it, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, put yourself in a situation. You just all of a sudden appear and now you're officiating a wedding <laughs> and you're in the middle of a speech <laughs> that you have no idea what you're saying and you have no idea who these people are. And I mean, he did a pretty good job, although he's saved by the uh, red alert. But yeah, I, I, I did appreciate the way they did that and it made it work for me. And as Kyle said, it also put to rest those thoughts of, man, are they going to change this future? Is it hope that Pike survives? And you know what I mean? It kind of put that to rest. So. And, and to further what you just said, Jonathan, in agreement with what you just said, they did it so well that he integrated with that timeline that about three-fourths of the way through it, I had to remind myself that this was the future <laughs> because it just seemed like a normal episode. You know, you didn't have that brooding character going, oh, you know, it's, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Let right. me change it. It just was happening. Well, and you know, but we could have went that way. And if it was up to Pike, he probably would have gone that direction. But we can always count on the trusty logic of Spock to tell him in order for us to find the problem, we're going to have to play this out as we would normally. You know what I mean? So he had to play. He had to do what Pike would normally do, because if he would have tried to alter any way that he would do things, that would have missed. Then they wouldn't have got any information from this. And then it truly would have been a pointless venture. Yeah. So getting in some of these comparisons and some of this, what I consider is just a love letter to to the Trek of old, you know, episode that's almost what, fi- over 55 years old at this point. Um, yeah, I just feel like the tie ins were very careful and well constructed. Just enough nostalgia. It could be a line or the way uh, 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 Kirk or, or the way Pike moved or the way they zoomed in on a shot. They just did so many things in this episode to give homage to this episode that has been out forever. (laughs) Yeah. What aspect of that really jumped out at you that looked kind of cool and well done for this updated different perspective of that of Balance of Terror? So I'm going to go with the one that caught my attention even before that. So whenever I originally watched it this weekend, which is when they zoom in on Spock. Just the way they zoomed in on it felt classic television. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just had it just had that old school, you know, where they zoom in someone's face and then you go to commercial or something. Yeah. That's what that felt like. And seeing them side by side again, that's you know, true to the point. That was my favorite one. I didn't realize how Many of the point by points of even the staging of the characters of how they stood and where they moved to was point by point, the, literally almost the same thing. Yeah. So freaking amazing. John, anything? Well, I, so, you know, the after our conversation last week, I decided, and since this is the season finale, I'll suck it up and watch the ready room. <laughs> and, you know, he was uh, Will Wheaton was mentioning, like watching the side by side comparisons and a couple of things that caught my eye was and this 
like the lighting, especially when the close ups of Pike. And if you go back to Balance of Terror and look at the close ups of Kirk, like the lighting is almost identical, kind of where they like highlight the eyes, eyes of their face. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? It was sort of identical. But the part that stood out to me the most was and this is really simple when Pike walks onto the bridge and he kind of relieves Spock, but he kind of walks around the helm section. Yeah. And kind of runs his hand across. It's so much thought in that moment. And for Pike, you can imagine he's thinking of a lot more. Like now he's going to have to command this ship in a crisis situation. And he's not from this time. Like he needs to know what to do. He doesn't know a couple of these people. So like now he he's having to concentrate on all that. Whereas in 2OS, Kirk just had the situation. And you can see that difference when they walk in. And if you look at a side by side, you know, Kirk kind of walks in, goes around and rubs his hand, but it's not, I don't know how to explain it. Pike just had so much more emotion going into it, but I love that scene and the fact that they did it almost the exact stride. Yeah. Yeah. It was so many cool comparisons and different perspectives. I thought the wedding at the very beginning was very cool because, mm-hmm. you know, you get that in the classic episode mm-hmm. and, and you get the uh, juxtapose of the spouse that dies. I forget their names, but I think in the old one, yeah, the husband dies in the old one and the yes. wife dies in this one. So it's just so many great things about this episode that that are in comparison and just a little spin on it, a little twist to make it a little different. Uh, the way they track the Romulan uh, ship, the uh, right. wake of the comet, just so many awesome things. Now, at this point, I want to get into a little bit of Kirk being the maverick here. There, we learned that Laan Laan is on the Farragut, and then we learned that Captain Kirk <laughs> is the captain of the the Farragut. <laughs> and and Pike immediately calls Sam, and they're like, "Give me the deets on the Joker," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he just straight up tells him, he yeah, he's kind of a you know a maverick. This is what he does. He's he's very straight to the point and a very different approach from what we get." from Pike normally. Uh, I think the one of the things I do love about Pike, just to be honest, the fact that he's more diplomatic, he gives the benefit of, of the doubt most of the time. Right. But, you know, Pike, Pike is kind of a maverick in his own way. He's not as aggressive as of a maverick, as a maverick, as you would think a maverick would be. But I don't see this whole first season, like, there's a lot that Pike has done that I just kind of felt like, you know, this is not exactly how Starfleet would have said do this. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it is kind of traces of being a maverick there. But I did love the description of Kirk's brother telling him what that was pretty good. That kind of set the scene for him. Yeah. And then we get this, I guess, throughout the rest of the episode, we get this battle basically of Pike I think what Kirk says, you're holding your punch, pulling your punches or mm-hmm. <laughs> you, 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 flip, you, you, you froze for just a moment and you get this position of where, where, uh, again, Pike is more diplomatic and reserved, just a bit reserved before jumping in head first. And, and Kirk is just like guns a blazing, you know? So, <laughs> so again, thought that was really good. Well, let me go back to the balance of terror real quick. In that, you have Kirk, who is, he starts off like Pike, to be honest. In that episode, he starts off like Pike. He gets the um, opinion of Spock. He gets the opinion of, wow, what was the the Hillsman in that episode's name? 
But there was a dude in the episode who really hated Romulus. <laughs> I forget his name. But he got, you know, taking in everybody's opinion. And then he makes the decision early on that we need to attack. And I think by the point in time you get to the wake of the comment, Kirk has already made the decision. You know, we're going to try to attack him and do what we need to do. Whereas Pike was still, even up until the end, he was still wavering. He gave them two hours at the very end of the battle. Right. Which I thought would might actually work. You know what I mean? Like in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, he may not be wrong here. And it took that diplomatic turn. But um, as we know, that didn't work out well. But what what struck me as as interesting and this kind of. So let me ask you guys this. Who do you think had the strongest friendship, Kirk and Spock or Pike and Spock? Them's fighting words. (laughs) You're already talking about as it stands in Trek. Lore and history? Yes, yes. Jeez. I still think it's I still think it's Spock and Kirk. So the reason I asked that is because I think Kirk's decision was heavily weighed on the fact that Spock agreed that they should attack. Mm. Whereas Spock agreed to with uh Pike and it was and I'm just comparing both episodes, Balance of Terror and this one. In Balance of the Terror, I think Kirk was more heavily swayed by Spock's opinion. Whereas in this episode, Pike was like, he heard Spock's opinion, but he was still strongly sticking to his. Mm. So I don't think we can answer timey-wimey-ly your question about whose friendship was greater, because I was sitting there quiet, just kind of contemplating your question. And I think it's which way you go with the timeline. I think I'm going to agree with Clarence because in the timeline we all know, he had a greater opportunity to get to know for a longer period of time Kirk versus Pike. He's known longer in this version of the timeline. So I I think it's a wash one way or the other, other than he got to know Kirk better because of extended time. Well, let me throw a monkey wrench in that. So Spock knows early on in the relationship with Pike that Pike pretty much sacrifices himself for Spock's life. And that, you know, he never really Mm. said it, but Spock deduced that. So he's building the friendship from that. Whereas, you know, Spock sacrifices himself for Kirk, but it's later on in the original series. So to me, if I'm in, if I'm in that place and I'm judging friendship and I know this guy sacrificed his life for me, how can there be a tighter friendship? Okay. So since you threw a wrench in it, I'll throw a screwdriver back at you, which is why does one have to be greater than the other? Because he gave up his life. (laughs) 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 I I mean, I I get it. I get it. You don't want to make that choice, but like, I'm just personally thinking like if I have two friends of equal stature to me, but I know one of them gave up their life for me. Like that just a that's a closer bond for me. Like I feel like I owe my life to that person. But there's so much pressure, dude. It was like, don't kill the next great world leader before he had a chance to be the next great world leader, you know? Right. <laughs> <Let> him, you <laughs> gotta sacrifice yourself to let him live, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it was just like Pike doing his own need of the many there. Yeah. He doesn't want Starfleet or the Federation to descend into war with the Romulans. And have all these lasting percussions, repercussions. It was that. And it was the fact that he knows 
Spock is going to be very important to whatever future there is for for the Federation. I wish oh. I kind of wish he would have gotten a glimpse of that future as well in this episode just to see it for a second. You know, it didn't have to be maybe they could have flashed like TNG era for a minute and just showed a bridge <laughs> or something. Right. Like, this is the future you're saving, you know, but he just knows he has to do what he has to do to prevent the absolute worst thing from happening. It just kind of it just impressed me at the like I said, I feel like Kirk's decision was heavily was made heavily on the opinion of Spock in that time. And rightfully so. Like Spock is probably the only person in the crew that has any close idea of who these people are. And he's the most logical person there. Like he's not making emotional decisions like our uh, bigoted buddy. Like so <laughs> like how do you not take Spock's advice? Save Spock, save the world. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what it was, man. Come on now. Yeah, it was. (laughs) So let's talk about what I just consider some top grade acting. And I want to look up the actor's name. But the Rumlin commander, the Rumlins portrayed in this episode. What do we think of how they brought this classic first look of the Rumlins into 2022? What did you guys think? Mm. I wish the guy who would have played Spock's father and Discovery would have, and Burnham's father would have played the Romulan, so that you could have had that parallel yeah. with uh, the original. That would have been cool. Yeah, it would be cool to have James Fram. But I think the the guy who did it, I, I'm looking him up right right now. Matthew did a very good job. McFaz McFadzine is his name. He was amazing. He was yeah. amazing, man. He was good. I I still like the uh, Balance of Terror guy better though. Yeah, yeah. I I think he pulled that off really well. And I guess just because we've seen him before and all that. But I I don't know. And maybe it's because this guy, the new guy was shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Made made the difference. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we learned a few differences. And and I want to say first off, I wish they would have gave Yahura the big hair as as we had in the past episode. I I, I wish you would have done that. She called it the bee's nest. <laughs> what? Okay. So she did the, uh, on the ready room, they was, they were interviewing her about it. And she was just so excited that she got to kind of play that role again. And she got to wear the earrings, but she said she was disappointed as well that she didn't get the hair and she called it the bee's nest. Oh God. That is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, Michelle Nichols hair here going on. So I was kind of disappointed about that, but some of the other difference, uh, well, not difference. Difference from uh, Pike's past was no number one, oh. which was really interesting and set up a cool thing we get at the very end of the episode. Oh. I was in shock not to see number one because, of course, she was not in the the TOS episode that we're reflecting here. But some pretty big implications of what's going to happen to her possibly going forward. Mm. They pretty much set up season three. I mean, season <laughs> two, not season three, but season two. I mean. You you know what's coming. Mm. Mm, yeah, I you know that hadn't really since they mentioned her being Ilarian and it was illegal. Like the ramifications of that, like didn't really last long. Like in that moment in that episode, you're like, oh boy, that could end badly for her. But you kind of forget about it. But when he asked the question, "Where's Una?" and it's like, well, I thought you knew from her past, and I was like, oh no, yeah, this is where we lose her. It was it was kind of heartbreaking because I'm starting to grow to like her. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty disturbing to know she's in some penal colony somewhere, 
and 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 then we get the the scene at the end where she's first taken off of the Enterprise. So by Pike's girlfriend, by oh, the way. Oh, it was so good to have uh, 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 Captain Patel back. It was cool to yes. have her. Uh, you know, we got another good Pike kick cooking moment at the very beginning of the episode. Hey, I'm going to try that. I am going to try that. <laughs> Leftover spaghetti and eggs, man. That's <laughs> mm. Let me say this. I and I and I've said before my brother was in the Marines and blah 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 blah, but I could so not be in in any type of military and Starfleet of whatever because the whole idea of the captain or the duties and the orders and whatever, I'm like, screw the orders. Eh. Yeah. That, that just irritated me. You're a rebel, man. <laughs> I, guess, no, I guess so. I just don't like being told what to do. I don't know. I just, that was when she said, I'm sorry, Chris. This is what I got to do or whatever. I was like, eh. When we do the live read for an episode, you're going to be Uno. I've already, uh, <laughs> you got, you got it now, Pat. Okay. You know, though, yeah, yeah. so was do you think Pike and Patel's relationship was all a ruse? Like, was she a plant to, Ooh. like, weed out Una? I, no, I don't, because I, that's where I'm going into the Judy thing. You know, she's there with him as his female companion, however you want to put it. At one point, she goes to work and gets the orders of go arrest this person on uh, on this ship. And and it didn't matter who it was. She was just following orders. Yeah, but what was the chances of her being there at the time they issued those orders? Like, I don't I, I think maybe the fish, the feelings they had for each other were were real. But I think in the beginning, maybe she was a plant. Uh, I don't want that to be true because it'd be too heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> Pike doesn't need any more heartbreak. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still have to disagree with you. I, I like your, where you're going with that, but I go too much into she may not could have told him that she was ultimately there to get him because that those were her orders, which is still crappy in itself. But I don't necessarily think she would have been a plant or she could have been. I don't know. But it just I, I want to go more with the she was just following orders. Sure. I don't know. It was cold blooded either way. Like I, 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 I just I feel like if they, if they, if she liked him that much, she would have given him uh, some kind of notice, or you know what I mean. Like not just walk on his ship and grab her and arrest her and take her off and rent. Like and sh- there was really like other than the apology. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm just doing my job. Yeah, like there was no remorse in it. Like. She almost felt, I mean, it almost felt like she just really didn't care, ultimately. I didn't care, Chris. I'm just doing my job. I did not like her. If you have orders, you have orders. I know that we tend to break them on Star Trek when they're hmm. too uh, crazy. Right. But, yeah, she ultimately, I don't blame her because I know she had orders, and that's kind of what she had to do. If she was a plant from the beginning, I would be heartbroken. Don't let that be true. But I want to pivot into talking a little bit more about the Romulans. So, Balance of Terror is very much a battle of tactics and wit between Kirk and the Romulan commander. Here is a little bit different because we have a third wheel, uh, so to speak. <laughs> we we have the commander, we have Pike, and then we have Kirk. You know, I think it's a little bit harder for Pike to navigate this because he has Kirk whispering in his ear on top of all other things. 
What did you think about that dynamic in this episode, John, of how you have Pike and Kurt kind of, for most of the episode, kind of going against each other? Well, first, Pike and Kurt would make an awesome team together if they got to work together a little longer. And you know what I mean? If you could see some more, that would be an awesome team because they're like the yin and the yang of commanding a starship. Yeah. That being said, uh, Kurt is just a tactician. Yeah. Right. Like, like yeah. if you go back and watch Balance of Terror, like his tech, like he is like the Genghis Khan <laughs> of Star Trek. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Pike is more or less relying more on feelings and diplomacy and like the Federation, the, the rules of the Federation where and, you know, if you're fighting the Romulans, like that's just not going to win. I'm sorry, it's not. Yeah. But Kirk is a tactician. And he made that well known when the interactions with uh, Pike. And honestly, honestly, and I know you guys don't really care for the Kirk character. That's fine. But I almost feel like he may have kind of cast a shadow over Pike a bit in this episode, like brought him down a notch. Only in a sense that we've seen Pike from the beginning be the take charge, even in his own diplomatic way take charge kind of guy. I think Kirk was just so aggressive, even to almost the point of annoyance in this episode, <laughs> that this is kind of the feeling you got because of, you know, aggressive people can oftentimes overshadow the, the more centered <laughs> people. Yeah. I guess I just kind of got more of a feeling of like the changing of the guard, like the out with the old and with the new, like I could see, you know, if, if, if everything was a perfect world and Pike's future wasn't set, like I could still see Kirk, maybe like Starfleet, maybe giving him command of the Enterprise, especially if we're going into a situation where there's going to be more hostile interactions. Like I just honestly, how do I say this? I don't want to say this because I don't mean it like I'm going to say how it. But <laughs> Kirk is the better captain. Now, now I say that and I don't mean that. Like if I were to serve on a starship, I would rather serve with Pike any day of the week. Than Kirk. But as far as Starfleet's concerned, I think Kirk is a better captain, more effective. Interesting. I I, I know there are a lot of people out there that are right there with you. So I, I'm not even, <laughs> we can't even like, you know, get mad at that. So yeah, that, well, that's a great Either right with me or we're going to get some hate mail. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, send it in to Jay Shorts at <laughs> Jay Flame. Jay Flame. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a story behind that one, folks. Uh, yeah, yeah, Kyle, I want to ask you about this culling of the Romulan commander. So, in the TOS episode, the ship explodes. They're in a battle, it explodes. Whereas here, we see the culling happening happening from the Romulan commanders, which was very, very shocking to me. So, just thought, general thoughts on the difference there. And um, were you really expecting them to blow up their own ship? We, we've seen a lot of Romulans since this point, or since TOS, um, especially in, in TNG. A lot of it in the last few seasons, well, at least the first season of Picard. Yeah, just, just thoughts on what happened in that scene. Was that expected? I think it maybe was expected a little bit in the sense of you already had the captain of the ship trying to be diplomatic, trying to look at a new perspective and the junior officer is following company line or et cetera and so forth. 
So it just kind of made sense when he tur- basically turns against him that these people, this race, they're ruthless. And what better way to show um, ruthlessness than to destroy the one that gave mercy yeah, or even considered mercy? And we've kind of seen this a couple examples. I know, t- I know I've seen it twice. I can't really recall the other one exactly, but... The one I do recall of an example of the Romulan ruthlessness is the uh, so, you know, the DS9 episode where uh, Starfleet intelligence recruits Julian Bashir because Section 32 is trying to recruit him as well. And they're trying to do something at this conference. 31. I'm sorry. <laughs> Section 31. Um See, Pike's already changing your personal storyline because you you it, it you thought it had changed to section thirty two. See, <laughs> moving up, we're, we're we're moving up numbers around here. Uh, but so there was an episode that in that particular episode they were on in this conference, and Julian Bashir ends up kind of working with this Romulan to kind of spoil the plot of whatever's going on with section thirty one and the Romulan High Command. And once the high command finds out about it, they execute this Romulan that was helping him just for that reason, uh. because their secrets are so closely guarded and their whatever their goals are, are so important. Like no one stands in the way, even if that's a member of our species. Yeah, they're they're pretty, pretty ruthless. And wasn't there like a TNG episode where Picard was interacting with one and they became was he a sp- or he defected. He defected. I think he defected. Yeah, he yeah. defected. Yeah, that was a good one as well. So yeah, that was that was the other one I was thinking about. That's right. So now I'm going to open up the floor to you guys. Any other point, tidbit, Easter egg, or anything about this episode we want to bring up before we get our ratings? No, I, I, the only thing I had wrote down was like another comparison between Balance and Terror and this was Spock's eyebrow raise when they finally see the Romulans. Yes, yes, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. So Pike has his fixed point in time that he has to experience, and Spock is the most important person in the universe. <laughs> that is the takeaway from this story. <sighs> Genetic engineering bad, also. <laughs> oh, and sometimes you can't avoid a fight. I got that out of this episode, too. I'll say that. True. Let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And Mr. Jones, let's start with you. Mm, I was hoping you wouldn't start with me, but I will take it nonetheless. I'm going to give this. This new Kirk can take a hike. Timelines be damned. I prefer Captain Pike. I'm going to give <laughs> it, because of that, I'm going to give it a 4.55 out of 5. Wow. 4.55 from Mr. Jones. Um, I freaking love this episode. It was amazing. I saw it a few times. It was great every time I watched it. No complaints. Perfect episode. Five, of course. Five for me. And I agree 100% with everything you just said. So five for me as well. All right, guys. Thanks for that. How do you feel about this episode? What did you think of this episode of Quality of Mercy? Let us know. You can send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what do you have for us today? Well, first, we have to answer Trek trivia from last week. Yes, yes. We pr- we don't have feedback for this because last week's episode is not going out yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> But we'll go ahead and give them an early drop of what the answer is going to be. 
uh, in this episode. So, John, what was last week's Trek trivia and what's the answer? So last week's Trek trivia, which actor was almost not cast unless he or she wore a wig for the audition? I think we solved it off the air. And I think Mr. Jones (laughs) solved it, actually. Yes, that would be Sir Patrick Stewart in the role of Charles Xavier. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was Patrick Stewart. So Gene Roddenberry, uh, when they first uh, reached out to Patrick Stewart for audition, and he showed up with a bald head, Gene Roddenberry did not think that would go over well as a Starfleet captain in the show. So for him to audition, he wanted him to wear a wig. So he did wear that wig for the audition and he did so well in the audition that they felt immediately after that he would do it would be even better if he did not have it. But there is a picture circulating on the IDW uh, latest comic book, and I think it is the the 200th edition or something like that. But anyway, there's a picture and we'll, I'll post it in show notes. Clarence, you can post it. And they have an animated picture with him and his hairpiece on, which is pretty cool. I think I could have got, <laughs> I could have, I could have enjoyed him with the hairpiece, but we can't get rid of the ball, Captain. Cool beans. But next trick trivia, and you're ready for this, guys. Maybe you already know that. Maybe somebody else out here already knew this, but I did not. So here it is: Which TOS actor or actress hid while filming the fact that they were missing their middle right finger? Missing their middle right finger, TOS actor. Mm-hmm. So this particular, well, I can't give you that hint because then it'll give you, it'll give away the sex of the character. And it, well, I'll give it to you anyway. This uh, particular actor was a captain in World War II and was hit by machine gun fire and when they were returning to their command post, sustaining wounds to leg, right hand, chest, and their chest. A cigarette case caught the bullet that would have otherwise killed this particular person, and this particular person lost their middle finger of their right hand. It seems like I would know this. I should know this, (laughs) but I have no idea. Because of this injury, it stated that outside of very rare occasions, this person concealed that portion of their hand in film shots. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap it up and get out of here, guys. As always, thank you for joining. Hit us up on the aforementioned outlets. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com